As we prepare to hear God's word, let's again go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, we ask today that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Lord, help each one of us to hear your word clearly. Take away any barriers to us understanding or accepting what you have to say to us. And Lord, we ask that you work through your spirit within each one of us to bring us to a deeper, to a deeper knowledge of you, but also to growth in your grace. Father, we depend entirely on you. Strengthen us, renew us, lead and guide us, we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are stepping into a sermon series we're calling The Center of the Story. We're going to read most of the last three chapters of the Gospel of Luke, these chapters that show us Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection, the, really the pivot point, the change point in all of history. We're going to start this morning with a reading from Luke 22. We're going to read verses 14 through 34. The words will be on the screens. You're also invited to grab a Bible from the bench or pull it up on your phone if you want to be following along during the sermon. Usually I try to walk through the text straight through. Today we're going to be a little more thematic and jump around a little bit, so you may want to have it open in front of you. But now hear the word of the Lord. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is, not, is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers." But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So our world is broken and treacherous. There was a, a massive earthquake in Turkey and Syria recently, and, and we've seen the death toll numbers go up and up and up. The last I heard, over 50,000 people had died in that quake, and, and there are massive, massive recovery issues. But as, as the aftermath of the quake unfolded, we heard that a lot of the buildings, especially in Turkey, well, they weren't designed to stand up to an earthquake. And people there knew they needed to, design to stand, needed to design buildings to stand up for an earthquake, but the government had what they called amnesty periods where you could pay the government a set fee and then you wouldn't have to build to code. So instead of building buildings that could withstand earthquakes, if you paid off the right person, you could build something else and save some money on construction costs and who's to know the difference until an earthquake strikes. And just the last few days, news stories have come out that the government has, become, has begun detaining journalists who have reported on some of the missteps and trouble of the earthquake. These people, these groups that are supposed to watch out for their citizens, that are supposed to take care of them, have betrayed trust and are betraying trust over and over and over again for for a few bucks, for a few coins, for, for the sake of their reputation, for the sake of their power. And this is, well, this is not an unusual story, is it? The world is full of times where people, where people create brokenness, where people allow things to go sideways for their own benefit, where, where even those who are supposed to care for others turn out to be treacherous to them. So we read this story of the Last Supper here, and we see how, well, we see how Judas, and we see how Peter, and we see how all the disciples are broken traitors. And Judas, we expect, we see that early on here in verses 21 to 23, that, that Jesus, as he shares this supper, says, the one who is going to betray me is, is at the table with me. And you'd think Judas might at least have the human decency to leave before dinner. You know, if you're going to stab somebody in the back or sneak up behind them and, and, and slit their throat or attack them, you, you might say that you're going well, to at least keep your hand behind your back or you're going to hide your weapon. But here is Judas, just like the other disciples, putting his hand into the same bowl as Jesus and sharing in this very feast that the Lord has, has brought together for those closest to him. And it's not just Judas. As the text develops, we, we see all the disciples, and all of a sudden, coming out, of, coming out of this bad news that one of them will betray Jesus, all of a sudden, they're all betraying Jesus, and they're all arguing, hey, I'm the greatest. No, 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 I'm the greatest. No, 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 I am the greatest. And Jesus has just said someone at that table with them is going to have him killed. And what, one minute later, five minutes later, they're arguing among themselves over who is... <clears throat> the greatest disciple. And maybe they're doing that to try to say, well, I'm the greatest. I'm not going to be the one who betrays you. But they come off as, as incredibly broken and as incredibly, well, incredibly against Jesus. He's just said he's going to die, and they're arguing about who's the greatest? And then Jesus singles out Peter and says, Peter, you're going to, Satan's going to attack you, and you're going to fall, but I've prayed for your restoration. And Jesus comes back with, not me, I'll go to prison and to death for you. 
And as we keep reading over the coming weeks, we'll see that, G- that Peter is not even willing to acknowledge that very night, that very night, Peter is given multiple opportunities to acknowledge that he knows Jesus, and every single time he distances himself from the Lord. No, he's not going to die for his Lord. No, he's not going to go to prison for his Lord. No, he's not even going to be identified with his Lord. And all of this just a few hours after this meal. Now, we are tempted when we hear stories like this to say, oh, that was them back then. Or we're tempted to say, oh, that's them out there. Or maybe we're tempted to say, oh, it's the people on the other side of church, not not us over here. But in fact, it's all of us who are broken and treacherous. We are all broken, treacherous people when it comes to the Lord. So the last couple months, I've been listening to a podcast called The 10-Minute Bible Hour, and you should check it out, 10-Minute Bible Hour by Matt Whitman. He's working through all the books of the Bible, one every weekday, and he's been going through the minor prophets lately, the last few books of the Old Testament, and at several points there, he's remarked on how the minor prophets, the last books of the Old Testament, they really go after injustice. And they highlight how God will make things right, how he will fix this broken world, and and the mighty powers that be will fall. But then the minor prophets also turn the camera on God's own people and say it's not just those people out there, it's, it's us. It's us who are broken traitors. And then Matt Whitman goes on in a way that's more honest than most of us are probably comfortable being, says, and there are There are people in my life who I've let down and betrayed. There are people who probably still hold grudges and hate me, and they have good reason to. And you know, there are people who burn me, and I I have my issues with them, but even, even I, and I think all of us could join in saying this, even I, even I have been sinful, have broken trust, have done what I wouldn't do again if I, if only I was able to. We all come here today, we all come to this table as broken traitors. And as we approach the Lord's Supper, we should come with a sense of, yes, of brokenness. We should come with a sense that we have not lived up even to the standard that we would want to hold ourselves to. And we have certainly not lived up to Jesus' standard. Now I pause because I want you actually to own this. Remember this. Remember that we come as broken people. And just like the disciples, these people who founded the church, who we look up to, just like them, we are broken. And we are so often treacherous to our Lord. We need to hear that bad news to really hear the good news. And now let's step into that good news. And the good news is that Jesus covenantly breaks his body for us. And I know that, for, that second word there, covenantally, it's not a real word. My spell check checked it off for me all the time, but I kept it. Because it's important that we have the idea of covenant. You see, covenant brings together the idea of a contract along with the idea of a promise. The Lord tells us this is a new covenant in his body and his blood. 
And a contract is legally binding. If you, if you make a contract and you don't keep it, there will be consequences. People can come after you. But a promise, well, a promise is relationally binding. And if, if you don't fulfill a promise, then you damage the relationship. And, and a covenant takes both of those ideas and builds on them and is something even more. It is legally binding. It is something that will be how it is said. And it is also relationally binding. It is something that brings people closer together and, and ties them together. And so the Lord comes to us, even to us, broken traitors. And he makes a covenant. A new covenant, he says. And he breaks his own body. Symbolically here but literally in just a few chapters, in just a couple chapters. And he sheds his own blood to make this covenant, to seal this covenant. This that, that we see celebrated in this text, this that we will celebrate together today, is a great and terrible feast. It is a great feast because in this feast, the Lord promises us salvation. He says to us here today, I give you my body and I give you my blood and I will care for you. And this is, this is more than a contract and it's more than a promise. It's a covenant. This will never fail. What a great privilege we have to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But at the same time, this is a terrible feast because we who are broken, we come to our Savior who is holy and whole, great and powerful and good beyond all we will ever truly comprehend. And He has to break Himself. He has to break Himself to share with us. The Lord invites us to partake of His broken body and poured out blood. And what... What an act of sacrifice. What an act of goodwill. What an act of grace. Now we're going to come back to that in a little bit, but I, I want to take a moment to reflect on how we respond. We're going to end with God's grace, but this supper calls us to respond. This supper calls us to, to serve in the way that Jesus served. Jesus gives his disciples this, this covenant. And then he invites them not to proclaim, I am the greatest, but instead to put themselves in the position of a servant. Jesus says to them, guys, do you see what I'm doing? Do you see how I have lived and how I am serving you? Give up on all your pomposity and your ego and all of that, and, and you too lay your life down. And Jesus says this to us just like he does to his disciples. You too lay your life down for others. Do not seek to be the greatest. Seek to be the least. There is a, a translation of the Bible in the Idumal language of the Papua New Guinea people. And the way that they translate that is, well, let me give you a little cultural background. In that tribe, they do a lot of canoe riding. And the important person always sits in the middle of the canoe. Everybody always knows who the most important person is, and that person always sits in the middle of the canoe, and the second most important person always sits in the front of the canoe. So middle most important, front second most important, and the least important person, the youngest, the least significant, the poorest, he sits in the back of the canoe and he does all the work. And the way that the translators chose to translate this text was, and let me read it for you, 
If a person wishes to be a leader, he should not sit in the middle of the canoe. Let him sit at the stern and let him do everyone else's work. If you want to be a leader in the church, if you want to be great in the way of Jesus, then, then choose to sit at the back of the canoe and do all the work. You know, often in the church, we appreciate the most the people who are, who are up front, the people who lead us. But this text would have us reflect that perhaps it is not the pastor who is the greatest in the church, but perhaps it is the person who is right now standing in the nursery changing a poopy diaper. Or perhaps it's, it's the person who's gone out to, to lead our children in children's church and help them grow in the faith. Or, or perhaps it's the person who's, who's visiting the shut-in or, or caring for those in the hospital or providing food for the needy. We often adopt the world standards in terms of greatness, but what Jesus calls us to and what Jesus shows us is that we should flip that on its head and we should serve. We should seek to be those in the back of the canoe doing all the work. Now, I want to give you a, a particular application for this today. A lot of us, we, you know, we live in a fairly well-off, comfortable area. We have lives that are, are very full of good things. We have our family, we have our friends, we have our work, we have our activities. We have all these good things, but our cups tend to be full to overflowing. And our schedules are jam-packed full of, of good things, yes. But we leave no margin for those in need. We do not practice the discipline of, of margin and of having our eyes open to serve. And so I invite you as you think about your schedule in the coming weeks and months to, to not jam-pack it full, but to intentionally perhaps scale back a bit and pray and ask the Lord to give you eyes to see how there might be someone in your life who, who needs some extra time, who needs some extra energy. Perhaps here at church, there's somebody who's newer who you could develop a relationship with instead of, instead of talking to the same people week after week. Perhaps at your work or in terms of ministries, whether here at Faith or elsewhere, perhaps you can empty out your cup a little bit so that you have space to share, space to welcome others to the table. I want to invite those of you who are in District 1, and if you are, then you'll have gotten a card in your, uh, your box the last couple bit, to find a little margin today. Just a little bit after the service, there's going to be a District 1 get-together, informal, just some snacks, over on that side of the church in rooms 1 to 3. We'll find some margin to just go and to get to know some other church members just a little bit more. And if you're a guest here today, you're, uh, you're unofficially but welcome to be a member of District 1. You're welcome to hang out, have some snacks, and, and meet a few people there. But let's find margin to serve. Let's break. Let's break even our well-kept schedules just a little bit for people in need. But now let's circle back to Jesus' work because His work is always more important than ours and let's celebrate that Jesus eagerly desires. And the phrase itself there is significant. Eagerly desires. Jesus eagerly desires to turn broken traitors into kingdom citizens. Note that, that here Jesus, who is fully human and fully divine and knows all things, he shares the first Lord's Supper with people who are going to betray him. Without exception, everybody who gathers around that table is about to betray Jesus, and he knows it. And yet, what does he say near the beginning of our text? This is verse 15. He says, I have eagerly desired, I have eagerly desired to share this with you. 
even for those who are about to betray him, even for those who are going to stab him in the back and run away, Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to share this with you. I have eagerly desired to have table fellowship, to sit and and have the intimacy of a shared meal with you guys right before you kick dirt in my face. Jesus wants to be with those who will betray him. He makes all the preparations. He hosts the meal. He brings them there, even though they are broken traitors. And he does the same for us. So we, we spent a number of years as missionaries in Nigeria, and, and there were some people there who came to visit all the time. And I'll tell you about just one of them. His name was Mohammed, and he was a Muslim background guy who converted to Christianity, and he was saying at least that he was trying to do ministry to Muslim background people. And the missionaries before us had basically paid his salary for years and years and years and years and years. And there was, there was no real fruit to his work, but they kept on paying his salary out of their own pocket. And so I show up with this, you know, new missionary feel, and he shows up with the expectation that I'm going to bankroll him. And we had to have this hard conversation that, no, no, Muhammad, I'm not going to keep paying your salary out of my own pocket. I don't do that. And his response was, oh, so you don't care about spreading the gospel. No, 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 I care about spreading the gospel. That's why I'm here, but I'm not able to support your own work. Perhaps you can farm or perhaps you can, you know, you have some vehicles. Perhaps you can do a taxi business. Perhaps you can find some ways to generate income. So he leaves in a huff and he he comes back. I have this new thing. I need money to build a school. Muhammad, I'm not going to help you pay for that. That's not what I do. Oh, you don't care about children. No, Muhammad. I care about children. I have my own children. I love all the children, but I'm not going to help you fund your school. And this went on the whole time we were there. You could see him coming and no, oh no. We're going to have the same conversation. It's going to go, oh, you don't care about. No, no, I care about, but I'm still not going to give you money. And the rules of etiquette there is that you were not allowed to hide when someone came to your front door. But every time he started coming, I had an intense desire to go hide because I knew how the conversation was going to go and I was always right. I did not eagerly desire to see this man. But there were others, and maybe I'll mention Jeremiah Yango, who was here at Faith Presenting a few weeks ago and still works in Nigeria with, with this particular group. But, but when he came, he would come to visit, and he would call before time, and he lived elsewhere. He lived in an area that had a lot more resources than we did. So he would call, and he would say, hey, I'm coming next week. What can I bring for you? Anything you want, I'll pick it up. And we'd say, well, could, could you pick up some fresh vegetables, maybe some fresh fruit? And, you know, we ran out of this. Could you pick that up? And so Jeremiah would come, and he would pull up, and he'd have boxes and boxes. He always brought more than we asked. He'd have boxes and boxes of fresh fruit and vegetables and, and all the things we could think of. And he'd think of treats that we hadn't even thought of, and, and he'd unload his truck full of stuff for us. And, and no matter what we tried to do, he wouldn't take any payment for it. I'm like, Jeremiah, come on. I, I, oh, okay, fine. We eagerly desired... We eagerly desired to see Jeremiah. And every time he came, it was a celebration. Well, Jesus sees us coming. And Jesus recognizes that we are all coming to get things from him because we have nothing we can give him. And he recognizes that time after time, we're going to come when we want something. We're going to ignore him till we have a need. And we're going to do it over and over again. But here we come again. And Jesus sees us coming every time. And you know what he does? He doesn't go and hide. He welcomes us. He says, I am so glad to see you again. 
Even those who stab him in the back, Jesus eagerly desires to have come in and be part of his people and share in his word and share in his sacraments and share in his grace. Jesus eagerly desires for you, for us, to come to him. And it doesn't matter who you've been or who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. Jesus wants you to come. He wants you to be among those who share in his broken body and poured out blood for the salvation and the restoration of your body and soul now and forever. Jesus eagerly desires to share fellowship with you. And that is true for each one of us. As we hear God's word this morning, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you are invited to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gives his very life for us. Now, if you, if you aren't a professing member of a Bible-believing church, if, if you haven't proclaimed publicly that you believe in Jesus, then we do ask that you don't participate in the Supper. And we ask that in part so that you reflect on how you can draw closer to Jesus. Spend this time reflecting on how the Lord might be prompting you and inviting you to, to do what you need to do to lay aside your brokenness and your treachery and to accept the holiness and the wholeness that the Lord offers to you. And if you do participate in the sacrament today, then receive this bread and this wine as, as Jesus' very body, broken for you, poured out for you, to restore, to deepen your relationship with Him. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that as we have gathered today that You have already been at work in each one of us. Father, we trust that somehow through Your Spirit You have worked in each one of our hearts and minds and even bodies to bring us here and now. And Lord, we pray that through your word and your spirit, you speak to each one of us with power, even here and even now. Father, if we need to hear the message today that we are broken and treacherous, then, well, then break down our offenses, break down our defenses, and show us who we really are before you. And Lord, we pray for all of us that you would not leave us in that broken condition, but that you would restore and heal us that you would even through this hour or so that we spend together, that you would draw us closer to you. Father, whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it every moment or not, we desperately need, we desperately need the salvation you give us. We pray that today you strengthen all of us for that salvation. Amen.